0: How many of you are alive in 1951 raise your hands old people you are not (laughs) no keep them up come on that's 10 years older than me you guys do you know that this church started in 1951 I know you probably don't you're like well, just 10 years on this campus and whatever 1951 actually it started with three ladies well here's my here's my picture for you old people let me not forget this okay no senior citizen discounts you had twice as long to get the money that's funny right there <laughs> And our oldest surviving member, Annette Canale, I don't know if she's in this service or not, um, she's wearing a hat today. She's been a member of this church for 55 years. She was wearing a hat today that said, at my age, getting lucky is finding your car in the parking lot. (laughs) All right. Not 1951, you see this, Uh, 1950, it was 1948, three ladies were riding on a train back and forth from Tinley Park to downtown, where they were working, and they had this vision for this church, and so in uh, April 15th, Easter of 1951, this is the beginning of what you're sitting in right now, Tinley Park Church of Christ, 1951, pretty cool, 30 people on a storefront, it's hard to tell which one's a preacher because they all look stodgy and you know in a suit. Um, it, it, it was uh, it was about three or it was about four years on that location in a in a storefront before the Zion Lutheran Church decided to move to a new building and they vacated this old building, which you see as a model dollhouse for you in front of you today. My friend Don made this really really awesome. They moved into this building in 1950. Don't clap for everything today or it's going to get long. 1955. 1955. This building is that's the Easter service back then. I mean, just you know, look at everybody in their suits and the Easter lilies, and I mean, it's amazing to think about the history of this place. So for 22 years they were there. In October of 1977 they decided they needed to relocate. Uh, this building is now a museum in downtown Tinley. You can still get married in there. Um, they moved into this building over on 84th Avenue, which is now Standing Stones Church, and uh, they were there from 1977 until we moved over here um, in 19. 1989 my wife and I were doing uh, I was doing student ministry down in St. Louis felt like it was time for me to uh, To preach I felt the call of God to preach I wanted to do my own church and see how things went Um, My buddy was Doug Atkins brother-in-law and Doug was on the search committee And one thing led to another and they hired us in January of 1990 uh, My wife and I moved here with a two and a half year old named Rachel who's now married and lives in Nashville And a baby on the way my wife was great with child that Christmas and um, and we had to hurry up the moving in thing because we needed to make sure that we got everything taken care of before the baby came. And that baby is the one that got married this summer that now lives back in St. Louis, ironically. And, uh, and so that's the history. The church averaged 148 people in weekend attendance in 1989. 1990 we moved here and uh, for seven years we grew slowly. We had to retool our vision. We had to start figuring out how to be focused on the people outside of our walls instead of inside of our walls, that we were a life-saving station and not a club. So in 1997 we decided we needed to relocate from that two acres to try to find someplace else. We had a capital campaign. We raised funds with 300 people. We raised about a million and a half dollars total over a three-year period to take care of the needs that we had in it to to run the church and to put money aside to be able to buy the property that you sit on now. Now, we didn't find this property for years. We actually were looking for about a five-year period to find property, and we finally got over here to Orland, over to this corner, and we were actually looking at the property over that Stone Church is on right now, over there, along I-80, and we thought that was going to be a good piece. Um, there was just This was just a dirt road at the time, but we knew they were going to develop and when we went to look over there, the village came to us and they said, Hey, there's nobody on the corner across from these lovely petroleum tanks. And. <laughs> And and nobody wants to be on the corner across from the lovely petroleum tanks. So, what if you guys moved over here? We would like for you to be here because that's the entrance to Orland Park and we'd like for something pretty to be there. And if you don't understand the church world, when the village comes to you and says, we want you to be there, you're like, okay, sign me up. You know, that's what we did. And they said, and if you move over here, we'll get you a stoplight. I didn't hear the for your 10th anniversary part. I just didn't hear. 2001 we broke ground on this property you can see that Lonnie and I were still very spiritual at that time even at groundbreaking we're wearing suits okay my how times have changed and uh, we broke ground 2001 we built for a year and it was exactly ten years ago this weekend that we moved into this facility not this one but the one over there Uh, we moved into this corner ten years ago this weekend what we moved into Ironically, I was just showing some uh, church friends around from another church out in California who here visiting. What we moved into is now our facility for third grade and under. Our whole church moved into that facility back then. Now it's third grade and under. Okay, It was a gym. It was 500 seats and uh, some classrooms around it. It's all that area over there on the other side of this hallway right here. We moved into that September, mid-September of, of 2002. We were running, by this time, 600 people a weekend. I mean, we'd grown, you know, quite a bit to that point, and we thought, well, we're going to move into this new building, and everything's going to be really cool when we get over there. So, because this building seats 500 people, and it's got room for all kinds of stuff going on, and, and so we thought, well, but, but the first weekend, what are we going to do? There's going to be, you know, like a lot more people the first weekend. So let's have four services our first weekend in a new building. That doesn't make any sense at all. But we knew there were going to be a lot of extra people. And there were 1,500 people that came the very first weekend. Raise your hand if you were here the very first weekend that we were here in 2002. Raise your hand. And look around. I want you to see this, okay? Keep your hands up. Unless you're clapping. All right. Not very many, is it? Kind of ironic when you think about it. 1,500 people were there that weekend. We stayed with four services. We had to go to five services. Six months into that location, we started thinking and praying and scheming about how we were going to have to build this building that you're in. And in 2006, we were able to move into this building. 2008, we moved into the campus over at Lockport. And last year, we averaged 6,200 people a week. In, in worship. Now if you're bad at math that means that ten years later we are ten times larger than when we moved into the corner of 183rd and Wolf Road. That is exceedingly abundantly above all we could have asked or imagined. Heard about a young couple that was uh, they would seen their doctor and they were worried they weren't going to have kids and they went to the doctor and the doctor said you know what, you're not going to be able to have kids there's some problems and they stopped by the pastor's house on the way home cuz they just wanted to pray they were real discouraged and they stopped by the pastor's house and he was just out in the garage working on his car and they said hey would you pray for us we read in the bible that it says if any of you has a need you should you should have the elders of the church anoint you with oil and pray over you would you do that and he's like well sure but you know I'm at I'm at home I don't have like my, my official holy oil what am I going to do and he looked around and all he could find was 3 in 1 oil <laughs> so he thought well okay whatever i mean it's oil right so he he, he anointed you know the 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 lady and he prayed over them. And sure enough, they got pregnant. And not only did they get pregnant, they had triplets. (laughs) On the way home from the hospital, they stopped by to see the pastor. The lady got out and gave him the biggest hug he'd ever gotten in his life. And he was like, well, thank you, but what was that for? And she said, I just am so grateful you didn't use (laughs) WD-40. I feel like that this church has gotten the WD 40 blessing of God, and I want to thank Him for it. I really do. It's amazing what God has done. So, at the 10 year mark, almost halfway now, we are at the 10 year mark, we're almost halfway through another generosity initiative. A cannonball is what we called it. Now, before we launched Cannonball, we had enough money. We were paying the bills. We had money set aside for emergencies, but we decided not to coast and do something about it. You see, here's the, here's the interesting thing about uh, leadership. You'll you'll understand this if you're in the business world at all. What tends to happen as a as a leader in business or in church or any other thing, as they get older, they tend to start playing it safe a little bit more. And usually when you hit the big five O like I did a year ago, you, you, you start, especially in the church world, you stop doing building programs. And you stop doing as much and you, you basically take your foot off the accelerator, especially if you've had any success in what you were doing in, in the industry. There's no reason to chance it as much anymore. And if, you, if you've got something that's big, you don't want to make any mistakes and you don't want to do anything that's going to screw anything up. So you get a fantasy football team and you improve your golf game and you, you just start looking forward to grandkids and retirement. That's just the natural way things have gone. And our leaders. Um, you know, we could have done the same thing. We could have, The elders could have said, you know what, this is amazing. We're one of the hundred largest churches in the country. Uh, God has done amazing things here, but we don't want to mess this up. And besides, the economy is really bad. Let's just take our foot off the gas a little bit. But we prayed about that, and we were driven by the conviction that God wants His kingdom to grow. There was a quote I had a couple of weeks ago that just really hit home to me. Oswald Smith said, Any church that is not seriously involved with helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. Just to sit around and be navel-gazers with each other was never something that God intended the church to do. God intended this to be a part of the organism called the kingdom of heaven. And he said the kingdom of heaven starts as a little mustard seed, but it grows up into this huge big plant, and that's what the church is supposed to do. So we launched into Cannonball. We launched into Cannonball because we wanted to raise the generosity level because we knew that, for one thing, God loves Chicagoland, and we needed to be involved with the local ministries that were helping in Chicagoland. So we launched into some things to be able to help Englewood and to be able to help Homewood and to be able to help Restoration Ministries and some of the ministries that are around us. And we knew that planting new churches was the way to reach the most amount of people. So we launched some new churches around the country. And we're involved in planting new churches all around. There's one getting ready to just plant in Brooklyn, New York right now that we're a part of. And we've got one in Salt Lake City. And we're planting one in Ireland. And we're planting in Indonesia and Africa and all over the world. And because Jesus said to go into all the world, we're also involved in Kenya. And we adopted an entire city in Ecuador and planting a church there. And in Africa and all around the world. And Brazil. In Mexico, and Cuba. And because we believe that the church needs to go into the world and not just get everybody on this campus, we have decided that we're going to plant a new campus, like our Lockport campus, which is going great, running 600 people a weekend. And we're going to plant probably in the north and the east of here. We're going to plant another campus. We're going to have five by 2020. And because we're concerned about social issues, we're going to get involved in a lot of social things. And one of those that's near and dear for my heart, is the sex trafficking slave slave trade that goes on around the world, and even in the United States of America, and Chicago's the number two city for that in the United States, and so we're working with other churches to put a safe house to get girls off the street somewhere in our area, and while I'm on that subject, we're doing the Rafa House Salon next weekend and October 6th, and I just want you to know that we got plenty of stylists now, thank you for volunteering, now all we need are customers, so if you're a girl who has homecoming, This next weekend on Saturday, or on October 6th on Saturday, we would love to have you come to Rafa House Salon and pay the money that you would have paid to some stylist out there, to one of the stylists in here, and all the money that is raised from that is going to go to Rafa House. It's going to get girls off the street in Cambodia. I I want you to go to rafahousesalon.com and sign up for that. And since... Parkview is 10 times larger than when we moved in 10 years ago. We're going to add some building. We're going to add some building over here. We're going to add some foyer space, and on top of that will be a chapel, a 250-seat chapel. Really ironic to me. That's why I love that Don made this little dollhouse for us, because basically what has happened is that we've come from here all the way around full circle to putting one of these back in our church again. Isn't that cool? I'm really excited about that. I really wish we could just go over there and put that church, that old church building on a truck and move it over and just plop it down right here. I think it'd look really awesome. But it's just not feasible. Plus, we need it to tie in. But we're going to be basically doing a 250-seat chapel to be able to do weddings and funerals and, and, and to be able to have another venue for when we need overflow and all that kind of stuff. Full circle back to where we began. So do we have to do cannonball? Do we have to get out on this diving board? No, not, not if have to is a crisis, but there's a verse that I've been adopting lately. I'm in charge of a convention in a couple of years, and this is going to be our theme. It's from 2 Corinthians 11 at 5.11. says, We persuade men because the love of Christ compels us. What I do here, what we do here at Parkview is we try to persuade people to follow Jesus because, the Christ, the, because Christ's love compels us. Because if I'm saved by amazing grace, I need to tell other people the amazing grace story. So a little over a year ago, we got out on the diving board and we said, Hey, you guys, let's raise our generosity. Let's try to double our generosity and see what kind of a giant cannonball we can make and what, how far the ripples are going to go. i got to be honest with you, I didn't want to do it. I was still reeling emotionally and financially and in every other way from our first daughter getting married that summer and our middle daughter was in Bolivia doing missions work and we'd just taken our youngest daughter to LA to go to college and we were empty nesters and we were, we were just trying, our heads were just spinning. With, I mean, all good stuff, but all this family stuff going on. And this is going to be the fourth time that I was going to, as a leader of this church, get up on this diving board and say, hey, let's go to the extra mile and see what God can do. I wasn't really ready for it. I mean, figuratively, I kind of sat in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Uh, But not my will, thine be done. Which is the same thing Jesus said. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. And God said, well, I'm sorry, but this is what really needs to happen. And God said to me, you know what? This is what really needs to happen. There's two reasons, God told me, this really needed to happen. The first one is there's a vision for all these people that need us. Four million people within a 30-minute drive time of our campus. My quote from a couple of weeks ago from C.T. Studd, some want to live within the sound of the chapel bell, but we want to run a mission, a yard from the gates of hell. That's who God's called us to be, Parkview Hospital. The second reason is that treasure equals heart. And God tells me over and over again, Tim, when you get up to talk about treasure... You're talking about people's heart because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And there's a connection between our treasure and our heart. And God doesn't really want our money. He wants us to trust Him. I mean, God's not hurting. God's not like, man, this economy really killing me. I hope you guys have a good offering today, right? God wants us to trust Him and that's what this is really all about. So as we approach the halfway mark of Cannonball, at the end of this service, we're going to ask you to fill out a commitment card. I mean, not if you're visiting. If you're visiting, you can just write a little funny note. I got one from Timmy Tightwad last week. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. But if you're a part of Parkview, at the end of the service, we're going to redo these. We're going to fill them out again. There are three questions I wanted to answer today about this whole thing, because these are three questions that people ask me from time to time. The first one is this. Does the amount I give really matter? Does the amount I give really matter? You know, God knew we would ask this. I mean, you know, is it, does it really matter what I give? Well, all throughout the Bible, the answer is yes. The Apostle Paul said it best in 2 Corinthians 9. He said, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. So the answer is yes, it does matter. Every spring, every farmer has to decide how much seed am I going to sow. How much seed am I going to plant? And if you ever meet a farmer who says, you know what, I figured out how I could save $20,000 this year in my budget by not buying as much seed, what would you say to them? I mean, I know you're all city folk, but you pretty much get this, right? You'd be like, no, dude, you've got to plant the seed or you're not going to get a crop. Okay, That's exactly what God is saying right here, that your harvest is going to be multiplied according to the seed that you put in. That's why on Wall Street they call investment capital what? Seed money, Right? Even they get that. No intelligent farmer would cut back on seed. They would borrow money so that they could have more seed because if you have more seed, you have more product. And God says the same thing is true in your life. And sometimes a well-intentioned person will say, well, it doesn't really matter what you give. That's really not true. The gift is always measured in proportion to the giver, the capacity of the giver. That's why God told us to tie. Bring 10% back. I don't care if it's $50 or $5,000, just tie. That's the Old Testament command. And Jesus said, don't neglect that. That's why the Apostle Paul said, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Yes, it does matter. And I know this sounds TV preacherish to you, but just because a bunch of dorks on TV have hijacked this principle to pad their own bank accounts does not make it less true. The question is, how much blessing do you want? If you want a little bit of blessing, give a little. If you want a lot of blessing, you give a lot. That's how it works. And people say, well, I want a lot of God's blessing, but I'm not going to give until after God gives to me. (laughs) That's not really how it works. You know, no farmer ever goes out one morning and go, wow, look at all this corn. This is awesome. I'm going to give some back now. And if you're thinking, I'm going to give after God blesses me, there's going to be two answers from God. Number one, I already really blessed you a lot. Think about it. And number two, it doesn't work that way. You've got to trust me. The second question you would have today is, how should I feel about being challenged to give? How should I feel about this? Because this is a sermon about generosity, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. One guy came up to me after service last night, and he's like, Man, I don't like it when you talk about money. When are you going to talk about something else? And I said, Well, they don't talk about money in hell. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't really say that. I just, that's what I wanted to say, but I didn't really say that. I'm like, Dude, I. This whole year, I'm going to talk three weeks. Actually, Tim Sutherland and me, two weeks on generosity. That's the only time I'm going to do it. We're getting ready to start the story for the whole next 32 weeks. We're going to go all the way through the Bible. Jesus talked about money 10% of the time. 19 of his 30 parables were about money. I mean, if you're having a problem with what I'm talking about, to me, and this is what I told him, maybe you've got a problem going on in here. If you go to the doctor and he says you've got a heart problem, and you're like, well, I don't want to hear that, and you go back the next year and he says you've got a heart problem, maybe you ought to figure out you've got a heart problem and you ought to do something about it. Now, I know some of you don't want to hear it. I know some of you are just like, whatever, I can't wait till next week. Heard about a preacher who was in a hunt club and he was out hunting one day. They were deer hunting, a bunch of them. And, he went, and, and, and they were out hunting and they were actually walking around. They weren't in a blind and they were, they were out hunting and they saw this deer and three of them shot at the same time. They all raised their rifles and shot at the same time and, and the buck went down. And they went over there and they were like, Who shot the deer? And one guy was looking at it and he goes, The preacher shot the deer. They said, How do you know? Said, because the shot went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it, it, here's how I think you ought to feel when you hear me talking about this. You should feel loved. You should feel that I am being responsible to the call that God has put in my life because I'm the doctor. I'm helping you with the treasure thing. Okay? This isn't about you, this isn't about me, this is about God and what He wants. But it should come from your heart and it should be something that you want to do. Here's what he goes on to say. Each man should give in his heart what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Okay? We'll leave that there for a second. I, w- I want you to pay attention to that. Now some people would go, well that means I should only give what I instinctively want to give. You know what, that's really not what God is saying. God is saying, I want you to give and I want you to like to give. I want you to be generous and I want you to like it. Suppose a husband realizes it's his 10th anniversary coming up, his wedding anniversary, and he says, Oh, to himself, oh man, this is, I can't believe it's my 10th anniversary. This sucks. I got to go buy a present. And if I don't buy a present, she's going to be mad at me and I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. So I guess I better go do it. So he goes and buys a present. Is that good, ladies? Okay, what if he realizes his motives are flawed and he says to his wife on her anniversary, you know what, honey, I was feeling really bad because I knew I had to buy you a present and I realized my motives were bad, so I took it back to the store. Happy anniversary. (laughs) Is that better? We have a word for that around here on our staff. We call that a funeral. Okay, we're building you a chapel. What he should have done is corrected his attitude and given an anniversary gift. And and I use that 10th anniversary kind of tongue-in-cheek because, you know what, it's our 10th anniversary. The village gave us a stoplight. What are you doing? What are you doing for this church for the 10th anniversary? Let me see it again. How many of you were a part of Parkview Christian Church before we moved to this location? Just put your hand up in the air. All right? Hey, Ian. How you doing, man? Uh, Just a few of you in here, right? Okay? All the rest of you have those people to thank, and you should do that right now. Thank you very much. Because... They sacrificed for you, you can be here, and now what we're doing, the reason I can get back on that thing and do it again, is because there are more people out there. Your kids and grandkids that haven't even been born yet. The neighbors that you've invited to the story next week, and I hope that you have. We're really anxious to see what happens next week when all these people show up. Your family members that you've been praying for, those people that are, four million of them around our campuses here, those people are the ones that we're doing this for. What we Ten years ago was about you. What we're doing now is about them. Let's watch. Sometimes I look at the world around me. I see so much pain, so much prejudice, injustice, poverty. I can't reconcile it with the world I imagine. The world I want my children to grow up in. My grandchildren. The little things I do seem insignificant like like tiny drops in a great ocean but I had a feeling that someday I would look back at this moment when I stopped thinking about what I can't do or won't do and about what I can do what God can do what God can do through all of us trust God so we're just diving in with this thing. Going to eliminate uh, cable TV from our lives for two years. We're just giving back to God what he really has given us. We've pushed it to the next level. We've done this three times before and every time God has provided he's made it happen and we're doubling our giving. We decided to try and do something that would scare us a little. Yeah we're gonna go all-in by quadrupling our annual giving. We're doubling our giving by giving one of our salaries each year for the next two years. The thing about the cannibal is the ripples that it makes. It's not just about the big splash, it's about the ripples, it's about the waves, it's about the effects that continue to go on and on and on in eternity. We're going to find out about things that happened that affected people in other places and other lands that we didn't even know about because the ripples are going to go on. just me, as a team, and we're doing it, and we're doing it big. Storing up treasures in heaven is uh, a reality, and it's the truest reality, and so if you live by that, then you trust. God allows you to see little glimpses of people's lives being changed. It really makes you want to get involved. and makes you want to pass it on, and knowing how it affects your own children, you want to be a part of that for other families. I think it starts out in our zip code in the or- at the Orland campus, and it goes to the Lockport, and it just gets bigger and bigger. It's an investment in relationships and in people and how many any life has been changed. Years from now, we'll all look back and remember today. All of us in concert, like a symphony of parts that God has woven together. Each of us had a perfect part to play. This is the story of my life. This is the story of our lives. And we are making history. There was a specific thing that you're supposed to use, an instrument of your body that you are supposed to use when you determine your giving. And it was your heart. Did you notice that? Okay. Each man should decide in his heart. What he is going to give, okay? Why doesn't it tell us to give uh, with our minds? Well, because this isn't a financial decision, this is a trust decision. It's not a spreadsheet decision. Your heart has to trump your mind, okay? It's not about listening to your mind, because your mind's not going to make any sense out of it. It's not about listening to your accountant, he's going to tell you to lay up treasure on earth, because that's his job. It's not about listening to your family, because they just want you to leave it to them, right? A bumper sticker I saw recently said where there's a will, I want to be in it. I get that, okay? I understand. <laughs> it's about listening to your heart and knowing that God is the one who's going to take care of our needs. It's about that every time. Let me go on and finish the scripture in 2 Corinthians. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all times having so that in all things at all times having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Just a reminder that God is in charge and you've got to trust Him. And people say, wait a minute, if I give to God, am I going to get cash back? I mean, is God like Capital One? I'm not sure. You might. But the blessings that you get from God, did you notice that? Um, In all things, at all times, having all that you need, God is going to give back to you. read an interesting stat this week. It was the anniversary of 9-11. In 1998, they surveyed people and they said, what is the American dream? And 33% said the American dream was more spiritual for them than it was material. Immediately after 9-11, that stat went up to 52% because all of a sudden the things that really mattered in life came into focus for us. We have to understand that God is going to take care of everything. And we trust Him with our heart. The third question that people are going to ask me, the third question is, is my generosity a measure of my devotion to Christ? My friend Kyle Adelman wrote a book called not a fan. Maybe some of you've read it already. It's sold a half a million copies already. His premise is that you can either be a fan or a follower of Jesus, okay? There's a difference. I'm a fan of the White Sox. I was at the White Sox game on Wednesday night. We were losing 8 to 1, so I left because that's the kind of fan I am I'd rather go home and sleep and they came back and got five more runs and they almost made a game out of it I didn't care I left cuz what am I I'm a fan I'm a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners I grew up in Oklahoma I love Oklahoma football but I work on Saturdays, so I don't get to watch the game sometimes I don't even know where they're at in the rankings I don't even know who they're playing I'm because I'm a fan okay there's a difference between being a fan and being a follower these babies are followers man Doesn't that look like a, a young Rogers and a young Cutler kind of, really honestly? <laughs> The problem is Jesus didn't call us to be fans. He called us to be followers. And most Christians are not followers. They're fans. The the idea of treasure equals heart means that you can't really follow Christ unless your checkbook is following along. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is John 6.66. It's kind of easy to remember. John 6.66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many of his disciples. And he looked at his 12 disciples. He said, are you guys going to leave me too? And they said, no, we can't. But one thing I noticed about in John 6.66 is that in John 6.67, Jesus didn't go running after the disciples that didn't want to follow him. He didn't go running after the fans going, hey, you guys, come back. I was just kidding. I just needed a dramatic moment for the Bible. Come back, come back. (laughs) He didn't do that. He said, it's up to you. Follow me or don't. It's kind of what he did last weekend if you were here with the rich young ruler. Dude, you have followed me so well. Everything in your life is baptized except for your wallet. Everything in your life, you've been following the commandments, but you need to learn generosity. And the rich young ruler walked away sad. He walked away sad because he couldn't do it. And Jesus didn't go chasing after him. Now, i got a fun story for that. And it's not in the Bible, so we don't know, but early church tradition tells us that perhaps... Barnabas in the book of Acts was actually the rich young ruler. That Barnabas, who was one of the most generous, he sold his lands and laid his money at the apostles' feet. He was the encourager that got the apostle Paul started and John Mark. He was the guy they called the son of encouragement. Early church tradition tells us, it's not in the Bible, that the rich young ruler who walked away sad at some point in his life turned around and got happy and became a follower. We're going to do these commitment cards. I want to, I want you to take them out. They're in the back of the chair in front of you. If you're visiting this weekend, don't worry about this. You can make up a fake one like somebody did from Timmy Tightwad last week that they turned in. I don't care. You know, give me a, you know give me some advice on the card. I don't care what you do with it if you're visiting. But if you're a part of Parkview. There there ought to be one of these two things that you do, okay? Everybody who's a part of Parkview, one of these two things. If you uh, were here last uh, November and you committed committed to Cannonball, that second one is for you. Put that up on the slide, okay? I've already made a commitment to Cannonball. And I'm confirming my commitment. I'm going to finish strong. Write down your number. I mean, we'll feel, we'll know that it's the same number that you put down before. You don't have to worry about like, how much have I given and not given. Just put down the number, okay? Just put down the number. That's fine. If you've done that, if you did, if you're putting down your number, here's what I've been praying and fasting about this week: was that you that there would be some people in this room who would say, you know what, I made a commitment, but God's been really good to me in the years since I made this commitment, and I think that he's calling me to actually jump a little bit higher and make a bigger splash, and I want to do more. We could use it, because we're behind on where we ought to be. We could use it. For those of you who weren't here last year, or you uh, were here and you weren't ready to jump in and be a part of this, the first box is for you. I'm going to make a commitment to Cannonball. And you just put a number down over there. It's all the giving. This is all in this time. This is not about a building campaign. This is about everything that we're going to do because everything's all together. So you put in the next 16 months, you got through next December. That's to the end of this campaign. So two Christmases. To that time, I believe that God is going to come through for me and I'm going to trust equals heart and I'm going to put a number in that box. And during the song that we have in just a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to throw those to think about that and fill those out, and then during the offering, we'll have you throw them in the offering basket, and we'll have communion. Let me read you some advice from Proverbs. This song, the song, Solomon was the wisest man in the world, and he said this, "My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep your commands in your heart, for they will produce for you in your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity." All right?" Proverbs 3, really good, right? Who who here wants longer life, peace, and prosperity? Raise your hand, okay? This is like an infomercial, right? This is awesome. I want this, okay? He says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Okay, love and faithfulness, that's the key. That's what I want, right? Write them on the tablet of your heart. And here's an added bonus. You will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Alright, I want favor with God and man, I want peace, prosperity, and a longer life. So what do I need? I need love and faithfulness. Okay, how does that happen? Trust in the Lord. How many of you have this plaque somewhere in your home? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. What's the added bonus? Verse 7, Don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil, and you will have health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Who here would like health to their body, nourishment to their bones, longer life, peace, prosperity, favor with God and man? How do you get that? You get that by binding love and faithfulness around you. And that comes from trusting in the Lord. And when you trust in the Lord, He's going to take care of all of those other things for you. And most people quit right there. But Solomon, again, who was the wisest man in the world, said, and I'll show you how you can prove that you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. The next verse. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. And then all this stuff is going to happen for you. You plant the seed and let God take care of it and your vats will brim over with new wine your barns will be filled your vats will brim over to new wine let me me just recap you get longer life peace prosperity favor with God and man you get health to your body nourishment to your bones barns filled to overflowing vats brimming over with new wine how? if you trust God how do you prove that you trust God? with your money it's really that simple Let me ask you this How do you trust in this chair? Do I trust in this chair? Some of you are like, I don't know (laughs) Okay, I'm not trusting in this chair I believe that this chair would hold me up But I'm not really trusting in this chair, am I? Let me ask you again Am I trusting in this chair now? not really because I mean if it fell I could probably still catch myself and I wouldn't really be hurt at all how do you trust in the chair now I'm trusting in the chair not trusting just a little I'm trusting everything how do you trust in the Lord you gotta sit in a chair Call this the God chair. I'm trusting in the chair. I'm going to give back to Him. I'm going to honor the Lord with my first fruits. I'm going to sow the seed of generosity and prove that I really trust Him. And if you aren't sure that God is faithful and trustworthy, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Here's one from Hebrews, which says. God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Psalms 9 says, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Romans 8, For I am convinced... That neither death, I'm convinced, I'm, I'm trusting, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor present or future powers, height, depth, anything in creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Our kids get this. I was reminded this week of a time when our youngest, who is now uh, in in college, but when she was six years old, I wrote this story down because it was so cute. She came to me one day and she said, Dad, one Sunday morning, Dad, I'm going to give a dollar in the offering this week. I was like, oh, that's awesome, Becca, because I knew she only got a dollar for a whole week for her allowance. So, you know, she was feeling really generous. She was just for uh, that childlike faith. She was just feeling it but I looked at the bill she had in her hand and I saw that it wasn't a $1 bill it was a $10 bill and I started to say well Becca that's a, uh, that's not a $1 that's a 10 and, and I knew she only had $20 in her bank and, and she looked at it and she said oh daddy I'm going to give $10 in the offering today and you say well she's only 6 why is it that Becca could give half of her money away. Why is it that Becca could understand money more than all the rest of us? I'll tell you why. Because she had me! Daddy Warbucks! And she still does at college. She didn't have to worry about anything. She didn't have to worry about where her next meal was coming from. I already bought the house that she lived in. She already had clothes because she had a loving father that cared for her. And so do you. Um, Thankfully, when Jesus got to the garden and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, Jesus added the caveat. But not my will, yours be done. Maybe that's the prayer. It was the prayer I had to pray at the beginning of Cannonball. Maybe it's the prayer you need to be praying right now too. Lord, I'm not really wanting to do these things that you're challenging me to do, but not my will. It's all about your will. You tell me. We're going to have communion right now. We're going to have the opportunity to remember that Jesus went through with it for us and He sacrificed for us. And there's really nothing He could ask for, from us that would be too much. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that You'll be uh, with us in a mighty way. When we, when we were worshiping earlier and we said uh, we welcome You with praise, we meant that. And we're glad that You're here. And This is a tough subject for us because it gets down to the very core of our being, very core of our heart, um, where treasures our heart is. And, and Lord... It's great that we have the example from you that you got to the point where it was going to be something very difficult for you and you didn't want to do it. But you told the Father that you would do His will no matter what. And because of that, you went to the cross and died for my sins. And I'm now free because of you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.